TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's the Score North Twin Show. All right, welcome to the Score North Twin Show. This is Jake Depew, joined by a very special guest today, Russell Dorsey. Uh, Russell covers the White Sox, covers a few different teams, the White Sox, the Cubs in Chicago, uh, covers the Brewers a little bit, and also covered the Twins uh, a little bit last year for MLB.com. So uh, Russell was kind enough to join us today, and uh, how's it going? Jake, thank you for having me, man. I am doing well, considering all the circumstances. <laughs> Good to see you, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're, I think, quarantining uh, just like me. I'm out here in Boston, and, and you're in Chicago, right? Yeah, just, just trying to stay out of the way and like, <laughs> be, be as helpful as possible while staying home um, and, and really just trying to wait it out to, uh, until baseball starts again. Yeah, stay out of the way is a really yeah. good way to phrase it. <laughs> just stay out of the yeah. way. Yeah, I'll stay out of your way, you stay out of my yeah. way, well, I'll just kind of go about our own. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, I want to start, obviously, we have to start with, I think, coronavirus and, and just where everything's at um, right now. So there have been so many different reports that have been coming out. It seems like there's a new report every day about a potential MLB plan to, to restart the season or, I guess, to start the season. Uh, the latest one came out from, from Bob Nightingale at USA Today a couple of days ago saying baseball, one of the plans that they're considering or throwing around is that they're going to have 10-team divisions, three 10-team divisions, uh, and the Twins and White Sox would both be in, I guess, the Central right. division along with every other team in the NL Central and the, and the AL Central. Um, so I guess what's the latest that you've been hearing about MLB's plans to restart, what they're thinking, and, and kind of how close any of these plans are to actually coming to fruition? I, I know that both sides really want to play baseball, you know what I'm saying? And I think that's something that fans are really excited to hear, like MLBPA and MLB, like really want to start playing games. I think what we all know is it boils down to is health and safety of not only the players, but, you know, the fans and of course the media. And I think this is something that I've been talking about with like different fans and, and people who kind of get a, a feel for what all is going into this is you know this, obviously, and us who cover baseball know this, but it takes a lot more people to run a major league team on a, a day-to-day basis than most people consider. Like, yeah, people just think, all right, it's the players, it's the coaches. It's way more than that. So, like, all right, for grins and giggles, let's just, we'll just do it this way. So you'll have 20 – we have 26 players this year, obviously, with a new rule. Um, and then I, I think with a lot of these plans, you'll have an expanded roster. So let's say there's 30 players on a roster this year if they add, like, four guys. Yeah. 30 players times 30 teams is 900 players, right? So then you have 900 players. Then you have coaching staffs. You have medical and training staffs. And you have the people who clean the clubhouses, the people who clean facilities. You have groundskeepers. You have uh, chefs and, and clubhouse managers, like equipment managers. So with all those in there, you're probably looking at 1,500 people if you did no fans and nobody else. And then you add in the media to that. Let's say you do five reporters from each of the cities where there's a team or for each team. That's another 150 people there. So now you're up to like 1,600, 1,700 people. So then you have to figure out, all right, 
how do we keep 1,700 people safe? If one of those 1,700 people gets sick, what happens? Do you have to shut everything down? Because that's, yes. that's a major concern. Like, yep. if somebody, God forbid, gets sick, do you have to shut the whole operation down, test everybody to make sure everybody else is good, and then go back to playing? Or do you just say, all right, that's it? Because I think that's that's the part of the whole logistical, logistical nightmare part is if somebody gets sick, especially like Arizona, I don't believe has a stay in place order. Yeah, I don't think so. So you're going to have people coming into contact, people like here in Chicago. And I imagine they're in Boston, like we're not going places. Restaurants are closed. Malls are closed. Stores are closed. I think today we have like the first phase one of reopening things where like stores and stuff are doing curbside service, but you still can't go in. You can't go into restaurants and stuff. But in Arizona, like they they don't have all that. It's you have to house seventeen hundred people. Then you want to keep those people away from others. So it's like you have to keep all those people in one centralized location, but keeping them far enough away from each other where they're not in close contact. Then you have on top of that seventeen hundred that we talked about, you have family, you have kids, you have spouses. So that's where it really I think. And it's one of those things that's like, well, that's way above my pay grade. This is like figuring out all those plans to keep people safe. How are you going to house people? How are you going to house the media? How are you going to, for even, like, let's talk about that part. Like, to if you're going to have games, how are you going to do clubhouse access? How are you going to do um, interviews? Like, are you going to do the thing that you had before spring training ended where you'd have an interview six feet away from somebody? And right. it's just a lot. So... I think that's the part for me where it's like, I want baseball back too. I'm not as, this is just me personally. It's not me talking for baseball. I don't think I'm not as optimistic because only because it's one of those things where I have to see, see it before I believe it. Like just saying we want to come back here and hear all these reports. It's like, all right, cool. But we still don't have widespread testing. Um, and are we are you taking away tests from other people? Like what what's going to happen? So I think there's still a lot of wrinkles to be ironed out. Um, but I guess it is positive that, you know, we're at May 1st today and, and you know it sounds like they want to start back in June. Yeah. So that gives us some type of timeline um, that we haven't had. And I think the benefit that baseball has over the other major sports, uh, maybe besides football, is like their season technically hasn't started yet. Like, right. yeah, something like the NBA where most teams only had like 10 games left. It's like, all right, do you even come back? But for baseball, if you started back in July, July 1st, um, it would be, you know, you want to have days off, you know, and you want to have uh, make sure the players are healthy because that's another concern. It's like, all right, if with this truncated season, are you keeping guys healthy um, and how are you doing all those things? So. I think there's a lot to consider here over the next 30 days as they try to figure out what they want to do. But I'm I'm I wouldn't go a long line saying baseball is definitely coming back in June because I think <laughs> so much stuff before we can definitively say that. Yeah, I agree. And to get to your point about testing, that's the one thing that MLB really hasn't addressed is mm-hmm. what if a player tests positive? Because let's be honest, you have or not just a player, a team employee, whatever, you have 
like you said, about close to 2,000 people, yeah. odds are you're not going to make it through an entire season without one person testing positive. Yeah. And so what are they going to do? I mean, if if they, if you're just going to shut it all down when one person tests positive, I don't know if you even make it through, you know, spring training too or whatever you want to call it before someone tests positive. Like there's no way in my mind, just statistically, that you make it through an entire season without that happening. So if somebody does test positive, do you quarantine a whole team for like two weeks? Like, right. That's the part that I don't which, think MLB already, and then that ruins your whole schedule. Right. With the, your different leagues and stuff that you had. It it's almost it almost has to run perfectly. Right. For it to work, which you know things don't run perfectly. No. So it, it's it's that's that's a really difficult part about it, and it's do you you know I know we here in Illinois like Abbott. It's one of the companies here developed the rapid test first and they were able to make 50,000 a day. And that was almost a month ago. So yeah. you have rapid tests available, but those tests also have to be distributed to everybody else in the country, not just right. League baseball or the different leagues. So how are you going to do it? That's, that's still, I think the testing thing is, is might be the biggest part of this, this whole thing because if you can ensure that people are going to be safe and healthy and that you can test them, like whether it's weekly tests or quarantine people who don't feel good, it's just a lot. So I yeah. think that's a, a really big part of the puzzle. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, you can't you can't take just from a moral, both a moral perspective and uh, a PR perspective, you can't be taking tests away from communities that need them you know like the only way for this to work is for there to be totally widespread testing for everyone who needs it right and right now that's not the case it's certainly better than it was a month ago and so i get i'm sure mlb is hoping that by mid-june or, or july 1st or whatever it is available to everyone but you know you saw with the nba like all these nba players were getting these tests when nobody else could get a test and it was like from a pr standpoint that was you know a little bit you know, I don't think they came out looking that great that it's like you have the entire New Jersey Nets tested. And it's like, meanwhile, you have all these people around the country who are really sick and can't get a test. Right. And so MLB needs to, in my opinion, really needs to avoid that. You yeah. know, there needs to be total widespread testing for, for everyone before um, before they get started. But Ooh. and then from a media perspective, and, and I know fans don't really care that much <laughs> about this, but <laughs> but we care. Uh, so we'll talk about it for a minute. Um you know, like you mentioned, right before they shut everything down, they kicked reporters out of the clubhouse, you know, and from a fan's perspective, I guess fans should care because I think that's where you get the best stuff, really, is the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're bringing people out onto a podium and having press conferences, you're not going to get the same access and the same type of stories that you would if you allow reporters in the clubhouse. So I don't know how, what your opinion on that is. My feeling is that it's unlikely they're going to let media in the clubhouse this season. I, it would be difficult. Um, that's something that I, especially with all the different media outlets that that get credential and stuff, it's hard to imagine that you're going to be able to let people in the clubhouse. With reporters out, I think it's for me as a, a reporter who's in, you know, think about a normal season. I I'm in a, a clubhouse with guys. Some are sick. You don't know who's sick. People yeah. don't know who if the people who are the reporters are coming in are sick or whatever. Like all those things happen and you don't even think about it during a normal season, you know. So especially now with something so serious, like I want to make sure I'm healthy and safe. 
And I want to make sure that everybody else, like I'm not putting anybody else in harm's way. Um, so that I think that's the part that's difficult because it's like, you're right. As part of what we do is being able to go where other people can't, being able to talk to guys and, and build that relationship with guys uh, because you, they know you're going to be there every day and you're going to be talking to them and they know who's asking them questions. And it's it's from somebody who knows and who's knowledgeable because they cover the team, not from somebody who just showed up one day. And uh, I don't know how you would do it. I, I think there's there is a. You know, having somebody come out and I know there have been a lot of since this whole shutdown started, a lot of conference calls each week where most people get the same thing. And it goes to, uh, you know, you think you have an advantage if you have that relationship with players where you can talk to them outside of that that forum. But right. it is difficult when everybody's getting the same answers and people are asking the same questions and uh, you can't really get that one on one time that you would in a clubhouse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'll be that's one of the like you said, the many wrinkles that that MLB has to figure out. Um, yeah. I think we'll have a lot more clarity in, in a month. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I really hope there's baseball. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I miss it. I miss it a lot from a fan's perspective, from a media perspective, everything. Um, but there's just so much that they have to figure out before any of this can happen. But let's let's move on and talk a little bit about baseball um, so that we're not just talking about yeah. gloom, and gloom the entire time. Um, I, I want to start by by talking about the Twins. Um, so you covered the Twins. Would you? How many series did you cover last year? For, for, oh, for? man. I think I covered five or six Twin series last year. Okay. So the one where I saw you in Milwaukee – yeah, and four or five here in Chicago. Okay, all right. So you you obviously have a good uh, you know knowledge of, of that team last year and and where they are heading into this year from covering them last year and and of course your work with the White Sox and so what are your impressions of um, you know just how talented the, that Twins team was last year and and where they are heading into to 2020? It was really disappointing to see them go out like they did in the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, yes, a lot of people would tell you that. Obviously, people in Minnesota would feel the same way. Um, that team was that's a, a real that's a historic team. Like that team will be remembered for a long time. Like yeah, it absolutely mashed. And the fact that they had that many players hit 20 home runs, the fact that they didn't really slump when it came to power, and yeah. continued to carry that throughout the entire season, like. Yeah, that was something to see, like to see a guy like Nelson Cruz just continue to perform at his age, to see, you know, guys gel and kind of find their find their rhythm as not. A, you know, you have a lot of rosters that are constructed where you'll have two guys in the lineup that kind of carry the whole thing for the season. And then guys have their slumps and ups and downs. And you really had it where Miguel Sano for maybe the first time, maybe other than three years ago stayed relatively healthy Mm -hmm. and really found an offensive identity Mm -hmm. where it wasn't just him swinging for all pull power. Like he was hitting the ball the other way and with as much power that he has in his swing, he's not going to have to worry about having to pull the ball to get the ball a ballpark. Um, Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, Mitch Garver coming out of nowhere and having the season that he had. I think all those things across the board, were amazing and it really it really showed you what a team like the twins could do 
in an American league where you need to hit the ball with the ballpark. But I think the thing that, you know, with them getting bounced the way they did in the playoffs, I think it opened their eyes to, all right, we need pitching and we need pitching pretty bad yeah. because if God forbid we can see the Yankees again, like, is it going to be like it's always been where, all right, we're first round out. Yeah. So I think bringing in Kenta Maeda was, was solid. I think bringing in uh, Rich Hill was solid. I think bringing in Homer Bailey was solid, even that from a depth perspective. Like, let's say he's not one of your leaders and starts, but let's say he makes 15 to 20 starts in 2020 and pitches solid out of your bullpen. Like, that's worth it, especially yeah. for a team that has struggled with starting rotation depth, you know, in the past. So I think with, you know, talking about coronavirus, I think coming into the season through spring training where it was like, all right, Rich Hill's going to be out and these guys are going to be out and these guys are nicked up and banged up and we're going to have to start the season without them. Now we're looking at, let's say, a, a June or July start. You're going to have Rich Hill back, you know. Right. You're going to have Kenta Maeda at full strength. You're going to have Homer Bailey at full strength just despite the fact that he signed late, like, a lot of these guys are going to be able to return from day one. And I think that that is a really big advantage for the Twins. So if they can find, you know, I'm not worried about their bullpen. I think their bullpen is still strong uh, with Taylor Rogers back there in, in the back end. And they had some guys really perform uh, last year. If they can find quality innings out of that middle to back end of the rotation, they're going to be really strong. For sure. I totally agree. I mean, the offense is everybody's back offensively. And then you add Josh Donaldson to that mix. Yep. It's going to be an amazing lineup. But but you're right. They did learn the hard way uh, about pitching. And, uh, you know, I think for as good a job as Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have done, and I really do think they've done a tremendous job. They definitely learned a lesson in not acquiring a starting pitcher at, at the trade deadline when everybody thought they were going to. Um, I, they expressed publicly that they were hoping to do that. And it was a weird market last year with the Mets, you know, jumping in and, and seller buyer. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. And I think that kind of screwed up the market for them a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it showed in the playoffs last year, you know, Randy Dobnik was a great story and I think he's a really good pitcher actually. And, and, uh, could be a strong back end guy, but you know, if he's starting game two, at Yankee Stadium, you know, for a 101-win team, that probably tells you that you don't have quite enough, you know, starting pitching depth. So um, that's something that that they addressed. And and your your point about Rich Hill is a really good one. That you know he wasn't going to be available until probably July. Well, now if there is a season, they get him for the whole year. Right. You know, and so that could be a big advantage for them. Um, but yeah, so one so one of the teams probably the the biggest contender, I, in my opinion, in the AL Central or the Central, if they're doing that 10-team thing or whatever it is, is is the White Sox. I mean, Cleveland's still there, although I think Cleveland is is this close to to blowing it all up. But yeah. um, but the White Sox are clearly up and coming, and, and they really went for it this offseason. You know, they signed Yasmani Grandel, uh, Dallas Keuchel, Encarnacion, uh, Gio Gonzalez, uh, and then they have some really good, strong prospects that I want to ask you about later but um just in terms of of the offseason for the white Sox, how much do you think they improved and and where do you think they're at going into 2020 could they potentially overtake the twins uh and win that division i think they improved tremendously you know they had uh i think a lot of people would call them the winner of the offseason which yeah. doesn't mean a whole lot but if you look uh, at 
what they lacked last year and what they have now, I think there's a significant jump. Then you sign Luis Robert to a long-term extension, who you think is going to be one of the best players in Major League Baseball, if not right off the bat in a, in a year or two. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at in that Acuna uh, range and, and, and Vlad Jr. range. And, and they, if you look around their infield with Yohan Moncada, who had an MVP type season last year, and Tim Anderson, who won the batting title, and then you have Jose Abreu. Uh, and then even if they wanted to let Nick Magical play second base right off the bat, you could do that. Um, and then they're outfield with Aloy Jimenez, who's going to be a 40 home run guy with Robert and then Nomar Mazzara, while I don't think he's the best right fielder ever, is 24 years old and could be a stopgap for you. Maybe he plays well. And then next offseason, maybe you go out and you try to acquire a Mookie Betts and throw your chips into that. You know, but because you've built yourself up to become this destination where guys want to come, and if you have some success this season, it's a lot easier to acquire that guy, whether it's Mookie Betts or it's another superstar free agent. Um, it's a lot easier to acquire that guy when you've established not only a culture, which they had last year, they just didn't quite have as much talent yet. Um, yeah. And then you have some success because I do think that's going to be very important to them. They can't do all these things, make all these moves, make all for people that really take them serious. But I do think in, in a normal American League Central, yeah, they're probably right there with the Twins. Um, I think the Twins still probably have a little bit more talent, but I would say the White Sox starting pitching as a whole is probably better. And mm-hmm. maybe the Twins bullpen is a little bit better because they has a little bit more depth, but the Sox are, have did a lot to address those needs as well in their bullpen. Um if you look at what they lacked last year in terms of uh, them as a whole, they could swing the bat. You know, they could swing it. They could score runs. But in that bullpen, once you got their starter out of the ball game, it was hard for them to cover nine and 12 outs. You know what I'm saying? So if if they can find quality innings out of their young rotation and you can do you can get five to six innings after Giolito and after Dallas Keuchel, if the combination of Dylan Cease and Kopech and Reynaldo Lopez and Gio Gonzalez can get you five to six innings of start, they're going to be in really good shape because their bullpen is built where that middle to back end is really strong. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Luis Robert, and I want to talk a little bit about him. I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of you know Twins fans, especially casual Twins fans, maybe haven't heard of him yet because he hasn't surfaced in the big leagues, but they signed him to... What was it? Six years, sixty million. 60 million yeah. 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 And he, I mean, he's he profiles as as a superstar uh, center fielder for you know the next decade. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, we were talking about Buxton, Byron Buxton, like that, and and he could still. I mean, he's you know he's still young, and he could still become that guy, and he's shown that in spurts. But obviously, he's had a lot of injury issues. But what can you tell us about Luis Robert and and sort of how he profiles as a player and what his ceiling is? He's built like a strong safety. Yeah. yeah. He's he's jacked, chiseled, like there's not an ounce of fat on him. One of those just freak, athletic, built guys. And crazy bat speed, can fly, can go get him in the outfield, strong arm. There's a n- true five-tool guy. And I think the Sox are looking at him as he's 
when they look back in 10 years out of all the players they've acquired and having to rebuild and the players they've brought in, that still might be the guy who's the best, better than Mankata, better than Tim Anderson, better than Aloy Jimenez. And despite how good all those three of those guys are, this is still the guy who's probably capable of being an MVP, 40-40, you know, 30-30, that type of player. Um, just a true game changer in the lineup. So I think we you got to see a little bit of that. You know, he had one of the best minor league seasons last year yeah. <laughs> that you you can remember. He did go 30-30. Um, he cut down the strikeouts. He walks a lot, which for young players, that's something that I look at. Like, what is what is their eye like? What is their plate discipline like? Do they swing at pitches outside of the zone? Like, where are their weaknesses? And towards the end of last year, August, September, there was – you can make a case that he probably should have gotten that call up to Chicago – but they they held him down for whatever reasons, whether it be service time or or otherwise. Um, but he's gonna he's I he's one of those can't miss guys, and I know that word can be you know there's a lot of can't miss guys out there who definitely who miss <laughs> yes. But I think the floor for him is extremely high, where it's like all right, even if he doesn't hit this Ronald Acuna Jr. ceiling that we think he has. He's probably still a really good everyday player. Yeah. You know? So how do you compare him to to Byron Buxton? Because mm-hmm. we've we, you know when Buxton was coming up, we we all talked about him in the same way, and, and I'm still really bullish on him because you know when he played last year, I mean he was outstanding. He figured yeah. it out at the plate. He was hitting for power. He's getting on base, obviously stealing bases, and and he's arguably the best defensive center fielder in the game. I mean he won a, a platinum glove and. 2017 right um so but obviously he he has major injury issues he's only played one full season um so you know the twins well enough that you've seen Bucks play a lot how do you kind of compare what are the differences between those two center fielders you know the thing and this is no not to byron buxton at all i've always felt like what do people see in byron buxton where it's like despite i think what is even he's been in the big leagues for what five years now 2015 he debuted yeah. yeah so with all the injuries and then there's been more bad than good it was always like all right what do people see in this dude because he couldn't hit for a long time then he had the major swing changes then obviously the injuries come and i do think it and not through no fault of his own there was a lot of things that happened to byron bucks where it's like all right now i have to rehab again now i have to find my swing again and i didn't really have my swing before i got injured so it's so to his credit, I do think last year was the first time he was able to focus. He didn't have to focus on, all right, I need to have my swing. I need to have this. I need to have that. I need, I need to have more pull power. I think with the adjustments he made, he found some consistency in his swing where the only thing that really kept him from having the best season of his career was the injuries, of course. Which is something that, you know, your best ability is availability. Like, we hear that all the time. And that's something that I think the Twins are going to have to monitor. Like, maybe you can't play him 140 games. Yeah. It's unfortunate if he's a true game changer and has has all these abilities. Maybe you can only play him 120 games, 115 games uh, in a normal season. Obviously, that's going to be a lot less this year. But um, I think in, in how he compares to Robert, I think – athletically they're they're right there with each other uh both of them can fly 
Byron Buxton defensively is is one of the best I've gotten to see in my time watching baseball. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they're yeah. true. And I'm I'm 25, so the best center fielder I've seen in my lifetime is Andrew Jones, and I see a lot of Andrew Jones and Byron Buxton, especially defensively. So that's that's the uh, if that's the bar, Byron Buxton is right there. Yeah. You know? And I think the speed that he has, in addition to his ability to track the ball in the outfield and the crazy arm strength is, you know, that makes it that puts him right up there in in a, a class of his own. Like, I, I love Kevin Pillar and I think Kevin Pillar deserves a glow glove at some point because I think he's been if it wasn't for Byron Buxton, he would be the yes. best center fielder in baseball guy. Um, but I think Robert is probably a tick below that just because we haven't gotten to see how that plays in the big leagues yet. I think he could easily be become that guy, has the speed to do it. Uh, he can go get him. And I think what gives Buxton a bit of an advantage is he has Eddie Rosario in left and Max Kepler in right where those guys are adequate outfielders and know what they're doing, even if they're not like gold glove winners or whatever. They, they are – Average to tick above average outfielders, right? Mm-hmm. Robert is going to have to play with two guys beside him who are below average outfielders. You know, I think Aloy Jimenez isn't amazing in the outfield. I think he he he's a lot better than people think or he showed because he got hurt on a couple plays in the outfield and maybe misjudged some balls. But Robert is going to have to have a cover a lot more ground because the guys on his left and right aren't the best outfielders. So I think that's where Buxton gets a, an advantage defensively. Offensively, I think you could say Robert's the better player right now. I don't, I don't think that would be outlandish to say um, the swings compact. It's not long, which is for, for a young player who has that much power you do worry about, all right, is the swing long? Is is the bat in and out of the zone too quick where the pitch has to be right in the sweet spot or it's a wrap? It's, he's been able to spray the ball around the around the field, hit the ball at the ballpark to any part, whether it's the pull side or opposite field, and been able to use that speed really effectively, you know, hitting the balls in the gaps, doubles and triples. So the, the profile that is there for him to be – an all-star caliber center fielder. Uh, it's just a matter of him getting out there and doing it. He, sh- he should be probably their leadoff hitter eventually, but I know before spring training ended uh, or was, was suspended, they had him a lot of hitting six, seven, just to kind of ease him into that role. Uh, but I think by the end of the season, he'll be their leadoff hitter. Yeah, well, it's it's high praise, and I think he definitely deserves it based on, like you said, that the numbers that he put up at AAA were insane last year. Um, he's not their only young guy who's who's got a lot of talent and and is ready to emerge in the big leagues. And I think that's part of what makes the White Sox so interesting and scary is they have this um, this you know veteran group, and they've brought in these free agents, but they have this this rising class of prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think two of the, the biggest ones besides Robert are uh, Nick Madrigal, who you mentioned, and then Kopech. Um, so what can you tell us about kind of the status of those two? Will Will Kopech be ready to start the season? Uh, do you expect Madrigal to, to start with the big the big league club? Uh, where, where do you see those two guys fitting in? I think Nick Madrigal could start the season with the Sox. I don't, 
it wasn't lining up that way before spring training ended, and it looked like Luri Garcia was going to be this every day second baseman at least for a month um, before they called up Nick Madrigal. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with Kopech. He, you know, threw the ball well in his one appearance, uh, was feeling good, was health, completely healthy. It was just a matter of them building him up and not, you know, when spring training ended, it was going to be cold up here in Chicago when they started. And you want to bring him back in an environment where, you know, he doesn't have to worry about being cold and having to throw and you worry about the elbow. So now with it, it's going to be warm in Chicago and everywhere else whenever baseball starts again. And you have expanded rosters. It doesn't make sense to not have them on the roster. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. even if you don't want them to be one of your five starters right away, let's say you have them as your long guy. Let's say you have them as a high leverage reliever like you did with Chris Sale. I, I don't see the downside of having him on the roster, you know. So I really think he could, especially if you go to 30 guys on a roster, and obviously you're going to most teams are going to add another pitcher and likely have that guy be able to eat some innings. I think it, it's a good spot for him to to be on the big league club. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting. I don't know how service time manipulation is going to work, you know, yeah. I mean, because let, let's be honest. I mean, as much as every club will deny it, you know, they hold down their top prospects until a certain yeah, date. Sure so that they can get an extra year. I mean, the, the, the tw- I mean, twins have done it with multiple prospects. Uh, Chris Bryant just lost, uh, a grievance. uh, a grievance. Yeah. About that. And, and that's something that baseball has to fix because it's ridiculous to me to not have your, your best players, um, on the field, uh, you know, just in the name of, of service time. But, um, I don't know how all that'll work. We'll, we'll see. It'll be really interesting. You know, will the White Sox be able to carry Kopech the whole year? Um, will they have to keep him, you know, down, whatever down means this year for a certain amount of time. But, uh, those are all logistics that I guess baseball still has to work out. But, um, I want to ask you about one more thing. And, and this is, uh, uh, not really. It's different than, than all of the topics we've been talking about, but I think it's really interesting because you have um, a unique talent or uh, a talent that, that most reporters don't have, which is the ability to to speak Spanish, um, mm-hmm. at least conversationally, uh, as you as you, we were talking you know, before we started recording. You know, you're you're either fluent or conversational, depending on how you want to define it. But certainly right. you can you can interview, um, you know, Latin players, Spanish speaking players um, and, and tell their stories in a way that a lot of reporters can't. And I think that's something um, that's an issue in baseball. We don't hear as much about those players because there aren't many reporters that that speak Spanish. So how has that ability helped you um, as a reporter? And, and maybe what's an example of a story uh, that you've written on, on a Spanish speaking player that, uh, you know, maybe wouldn't have come out if, you know, uh, you didn't have that ability or, or that player didn't have any reporter to speak to who could speak to him in his native language? Yeah, um, it's definitely a, a a a skill that has benefited me in my time, short time, and writing about Major League Baseball. Um, I think I got lucky that I took it seriously in school. Yeah. Um, and everybody takes that language in high school, and it's like, all right, whatever, just to get this out of the way. But I always loved the language. I always loved Spanish. And for a long time, like I wanted to play Major League Baseball. So I'm like, I'm going to have to learn this eventually. So let's take it serious. Did well and then went to 
Spanish two, and then took honor Spanish and AP and all that, and then got to college, didn't use it at all, you know? <laughs> and after I graduated, I was going to get back into baseball. I got into journalism, obviously, and was writing about baseball. It's like, I should probably pick this up again. And it's like most things that you know but haven't done in a while, once you start getting back into it, things come back really fast. And really just committed, I think, last, it was last offseason, really committed to learning the language in a way where I could communicate with guys um, fully and they could understand me. And I think that's the, the, the biggest thing for me is like being able to talk to a guy who has to talk to a translator all the time to understand the many questions, good or bad, that we as the media ask. And to see a guy's face when I ask him in Spanish if I can talk to him for a couple of minutes and like their face lights up and they're like, yeah, yeah sure, whatever you need. Right. Um, right. And just to to be able to and, you know, like there's naturally a guard that's up when you're talking to guys if you don't have that relationship. And yeah, I think being able to know the language um, that by itself just takes that a, a lot of that barrier away. Um, for me, there was a couple stories like last year I wrote about Jose Abreu and like his role as the mentor for the White Sox. And, you know, when he came from Cuba, you know, he was this, this young player who didn't know, um, you know, how the major leagues work. He didn't know how, you know, life here in America worked. And then to have Luis Robert come in and have Yoan Moncada come in, guys from Cuba who, had to go through that same thing and the respect that he has, not only by those young guys, but the, all the young guys on the White Sox, like he's their captain. I know it's, they don't have a official captain, but that's their, that's their guy. Right. And the respect that he holds, not only with the White Sox, but around baseball, like guys really respect him for, for what he's done and what he's did both in Cuba and here in the States and, and how he's just like, just a good dude. Um, and then what I did recently the story didn't come out because <laughs> it was supposed to come out a week after baseball shut down. <laughs> but I talked to Orlando Arcia, the shortstop for the Brewers. Bro- brother uh, of uh, Oswaldo Arcia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I talked to him before the shutdown and, you know, they brought in um, Luis Arias, the, the shortstop, high touted prospect for a long time to compete for that shortstop job. And really just talk to him like, hey, man, like you've been the guy you've been in the system for five years since you were 20 years old and have basically had this job this entire time throughout struggles or whatever. Like you've had it. And now to to have this other young guy now come in and have to have a competition for for shortstop, like, does that make you feel away like does that bother you what and I think that was a big one for me because despite it not coming out it was the first time where you know it's it's difficult I've never said this before but it's difficult in a language that you don't know to kind of get I think in our job in the media sometimes to be adversarial and it's hard to ask that question because it's like all right did this translate did it come out like I wanted it to and it did and I was I even you know, I always have a translator with me just in case. Most times they're like, you're good. Don't worry about it. Um, but 
he was just like, man, I, I, I needed after last year, like I wasn't in a good place with my swing. I didn't have a good year and it was, it was difficult. And he said, I didn't look at it as, oh man, like here's this dude coming in. It was really just like, listen, I love the Brewers. And if the Brewers think this is what we need to win, that listen, that's my teammate. And I, I want to win and I want to win with the Brewers. So I think that was a that's another one that was really, you know, it, it helped me figure out that, all right, I can do this and I can do that in a, a way I'd ask a normal player that type of question. Like, listen, they made trades to bring another starting pitcher in. That means you might not you know, be a starter anymore and you have to go to the bullpen that you can do that in two languages. And sometimes yeah. I think about it, it's like, dude, that's hard in English sometimes. If you yeah. Try to yeah. phrase the question where, like, you don't want to offend the guy, but you want to be honest. And I think it, it translates in both languages. Like, guys respect when you're you're honest and you tell the truth and you're not doing something to demean or make them feel bad, but just to kind of find information. So it's been great, man. It's been great. Like, it's 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 cool to have that i i wish there was more um i happen to have taken spanish classes more recent than others may have because the last spanish class i took was only like six years ago you know and a lot of people you know like this is not a year that's definitely been a benefit for me but no it's it's a it's a great skill to have for young reporters, people who want to get into writing about baseball. I would definitely say, listen, go to your local community college. If you're not in school, if you're in school, take the Spanish class and take it seriously and really learn, um, really learn how to put words and phrases and sentences together. Because even if you can, once you learn structure and grammar and all that, you're going to be able to put a lot of sentences together. And people are going to be able to understand you and you're going to be able to talk to people in a way that you didn't think you could before. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a it's a huge skill to have and and allows you to develop relationships with players that that most reporters just will never get to do, you know. And um, so, yeah, so hopefully that RCS story will come out eventually. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> um, so when if and when it does come out, where where can people find it? Where can they follow you on uh, Twitter, Instagram? Uh, yeah, um. Twitter is at Russ underscore Dorsey one. Instagram is Russ underscore Dorsey. Stories are available on MLB.com or the club site. So if I write a twin story, it'll be on twins.com. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's I'm I'm really excited. Uh, I, it sucks because I was extremely excited for the season during spring training. It was it was one of those where it's like, man, I I'm really excited for the stories that are to come. And even though it's it's been a it's been a dark couple months, like I lost somebody recently, a couple people recently, and it was it's been tough. But I'm still really excited for baseball, and I'm still really excited to have my stories be, you know, a help to somebody who yeah, maybe yeah. had a rough go of it this last couple months, like we all have. But like maybe it was way worse than our experiences have been. So. That's I think that's what I'm most excited for in this next couple of months is I'm really excited to 
to put stories out there and to write. Like, I'm not going to have that, oh, man, I don't know what to write about for a while. <laughs> because yeah. there's been nothing to write about. And so as soon as baseball starts, I'm going to be able to figure something to write about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm right there with you. It, the last couple of months have been really really tough uh for a lot of reasons for for everybody and yeah. and um i i think everybody everybody's been touched by this in a different way and and uh just to get that that escape back and and get that entertainment back will will be really great so uh yeah hopefully it happens soon um but i want to thank you so much for uh for joining the podcast uh stay healthy and and hopefully uh i'll see you in a in a big league stadium wherever that may be uh soon so. Absolutely, man. Thank you for uh, for reaching out, and, and it was a lot of fun. We will definitely do this again. Awesome. All right. Take care.